Good morning, church. My name is Tellus Fuller, in case we haven't had the opportunity to meet. I'm the pastor here. Really looking forward to our time here together. We are in a series that we started a couple weeks ago on our core values. The reason we're talking about our core values is because every now and again, we think it's important to remind our church what is most valuable to us. And in a way, we really believe that these things aren't just valuable organizational tools and guideposts, but we believe that these five things are actually monumentally valuable to God. A few weeks ago, we got to hear Bishop speak about evangelism. Last week, we got to speak about family. Our values are three more. We have uh, discipleship, leadership development, and lordship. And today I get the opportunity to share with all of you about discipleship. Really looking forward to our time. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 25. And if you would, and if you're able, would you stand with me in the reading of the word? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What I want to speak about for just the next few minutes that we're together is just two things. One, what is discipleship? And two, the cost of discipleship. Would you pray with me for a minute? Lord Jesus, we love you. Stir our love for you even more. Lord, all of this is for you. Every bit of it. And Lord, if you're not seen, then it's not successful. Holy Spirit, visit us and open our eyes and our ears to see and hear what you want to say, not what I've prepared to say. We value you here and we make a place for you right now. Lord, if you're not glorified in any other place, would you be glorified in this place? And if you're not glorified in any other heart, would you be glorified in this heart? Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Thank you. Discipleship. Discipleship. Matthew 16 is a monumental chapter in the ministry and in the life of Jesus. It starts with Jesus actually criticizing the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which are the religious leaders of the time. He tells everybody around, you need to beware of these people. And 
almost to an extent, you don't need to listen to them in the way that they're preaching because they had the letter of the law, but not the heart of the law. That they were heaping weight upon people, but didn't lift a finger to help them take it off. Jesus was saying, you need to beware of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. After that, he asks his disciples, he says, now, who do people say that I am? His disciples come up to him and they say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist and some people say that you're Elijah. And he's like, yeah, okay, but who do you say that I am? The biggest moment in Peter's life, he responds with this revelation from God. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus responds to him and says, you're right, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but the Spirit of God has. You're no longer Simon, now you are Peter. And on that revelation, I will build my church. Afterwards, Jesus then prophesies and says that he's going to be crucified. Rome is going to kill him. And Peter then rebukes Jesus and says, no, Jesus, may it never happen. That is not your future. And then Jesus rebukes Peter. And says, yes, it is. Get behind me, Satan. What a roller coaster of a few verses for Peter. He says, no, I must go be delivered and die for the sins of the world. After Jesus says he's going to go to the cross and he rebukes Peter, then Jesus follows up with this statement. He says, if anyone wants to come after me or to follow me, they must deny themselves take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever aims to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will find it. You see, the point of being a Christian is not simply to be saved. It is to become more like Jesus. If you gave your life to Jesus, that's great, and I'm so glad that you're saved. But that is not the end of the decision that you made. The point of Christianity and giving your life to him is not merely to go to heaven, but to become more like Jesus. See, your discipleship is personal. It's a personal relationship between you and between God. And as I walk with Jesus, you realize and I realize that I continue to grow in my relationship with Jesus. The longer I walk with him, the more obsessed I become with him. Because I haven't lived so long, but I have lived long enough to know that Jesus does not become less beautiful. He is as beautiful as he ever was. Jesus does not become less glorious. He is as glorious as he ever will be. What happens to me is I start to longer that I walk with him. I start to see more aspects of his beauty. I notice more aspects of his glory. And the longer I walk with him, the more in love I become with him. I realize that my relationship and my discipleship with Jesus is absolutely personal. But don't be mistaken. Your discipleship is also missional. It's not just about you having a personal relationship with Jesus. It's about you being on mission for Jesus. Because if the whole point of you being saved was for you to be with Jesus in heaven, why aren't you in heaven? If Jesus simply wanted you to be saved so that you would be with him forever, why aren't you with him right now? 
If not to say there is something for you to do here. You need to become more like him. And not just personally, but missionally. Because guess what? God's plan A for humanity is you. He made the sacrifice. He died on the cross. He did his job. Now he's saying it is the church's responsibility to now help people see me rightly and make a decision to come to Jesus with all of their sin and to be forgiven. You're God's plan A. And if you're saying that sounds incredibly intimidating, absolutely, which is why you need to become more like him. See, discipleship is simply this, that you are mimicking Jesus in order to become like Jesus. Because your discipleship, your relationship with Jesus and following him is not simply so that you might get to heaven personally. It is missional in that you might help other people follow him here on earth. We're disciples. It's missional. We are supposed to be like Jesus. And that we're supposed to do justice. We're supposed to love mercy. We're supposed to care for the marginalized. And we're supposed to bring the kingdom of heaven here to earth. We're supposed to go and heal the sick and preach the good news of the gospel. That if you would repent of your sins, Jesus would welcome you. Even while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And now it's by grace through faith that you are saved. It is not an act of works so that no man, woman, child, boy, or girl can boast. But it is the free gift of God in Christ Jesus. That is why you're here. We've had a lot of names as followers of Jesus. What we've been called, at least that is. And Jesus, you notice, never says, if you want to come, and when he invites people to follow him, he doesn't say, if you want to come and be converts. Jesus doesn't say, if you want to come and become church members. If anyone wants to be a saint... No, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must do these things. We have a lot of different names in the scriptures. Even in the early church in Acts chapter 9, you're going to find one of my favorite terms that followers of Jesus had early in the church. We were called people of the way. One of the coolest things I've ever heard, and I think we should go back to it. People of the way. In Acts chapter 9, why? It's because Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We were called people of the way for a while. Then we were called Christians. You find even in Acts in a few later chapters, Christians simply just means uh, Christ. It's the combination of two words, Christos, and then chiens, which is the end of a word you would put to make it a little. So Christ is simply meaning the anointed one, the savior. That's who Christ was. It wasn't his last name. It was a title. He was the anointed one. Christians means simply little anointed ones. That's what we were called by people. It wasn't necessarily an endearing term, but they were like, oh, look at those Christians thinking they're over there being little Christs. That's what we reminded people of. I have a question for you. Do you remind people of Christ? Are you a little anointed one? When people see you, do they see a little Jesus? Because that was the title that we were given. The people of the way, the people who are called Christians. But the only thing that Jesus actually called us was disciples. That was the term that Jesus used for you. 
was a disciple. A disciple simply means an apprentice of, a learner of, a follower of, but not just in the way where you have more knowledge to share with people so that you can appear more religious and smarter than somebody else. No, but in the way that you are to mimic him so that you might become like him. As in, you say what he says, you go where he goes, and you do what he does. He calls you disciples. And for some reason in our culture, it seems like there is a difference between being a Christian and being a disciple. A Christian is seemingly somebody who is saved by Jesus, and a disciple is somebody who wants to become like Jesus. It's different. That you can be... A Christian without being a disciple, but you can't be a disciple without being a Christian. And Jesus calls us disciples, followers, people who mimic him in order to become like him. And as we become like Jesus, I don't believe he ever meant for there to be a distinction between Christian, people of the way, or followers of Jesus, or disciples. I think for some reason in our mind, we have separated these things. Because I don't know if you've noticed, Jesus was a pretty all or nothing guy. He was saying, you're either with me or you're not. You're either following me or you're not. And as you follow Jesus, he expects you to become like him. He says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, I believe that we need a more robust theology of if anyone. Why? Because Jesus does not say, if the religious people would come after me, if the moral people would come after me, if the people with really good intentions would come after me. If the people who really, really wanted me really, really badly would come after me. If the people with great track records and a perfect history and a great family would come after me. He says, if anyone would come after me, not the best of us, not the greatest of us, not the smartest, fastest, prettiest, and funniest. But he said, if anyone would come after me. I think we need a better theology of anyone because if we simply believe it is the best ones and not anyone, we will try to make ourselves better before we bring ourselves close. And Jesus is not asking you to make yourself a better Christian before you come to him. He's saying, my job is to change you. Your job is to come to me. And don't get it mistaken. You need to change, but you first need to come. And it's come as you are, not come as you think he needs you to be. Because if you think you need to be a certain type of Christian before you get to him, let me tell you something, you're never going to get there. You're never going to be good enough. You think you're righteous enough for God? None of us are. So we come as we are and we say, Lord, as I come, would you change me? If anyone would come after me, anyone says one of the most famous verses in all the scriptures. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him. There is this whosoever about God. He is not a respecter of persons. He is inviting anyone to come after him. You see, simply discipleship, if you could put it into a word, would be discipleship is formation. Formation, you're being formed into something. Christ forming his image in us and then us forming other people. If you are in Christ, we are meant to be disciples that then make disciples. 
Jesus calls all disciples to be people who then make disciples. He didn't reserve this idea for the pastors, the evangelists, and for the missionaries. He reserved making disciples for the church. And if you think that making disciples is just for the select anointed few, you are missing out on half of your Christian life. It's not just for the the really anointed fivefold ministers that you see on stage. He's actually telling all of us to do it. And yet, so many of us don't. We don't make disciples. If we're in Christ Jesus, we're called to, we're empowered to, we're even given the Holy Spirit and equipped to, and yet so many of us don't. I think there are reasons for that. There's probably a bit of fear in it that I don't know if I'm good enough. There's probably a bit of knowledge where you say, I don't know if I know enough. There might be an imposter syndrome that I don't think I really am that. Who am I to tell somebody else? Or maybe you're in the room and you're just saying, man, no one ever taught me, so I don't really know how to even do it. There might be a lot of reasons why we aren't people who are making disciples, but none of them are good enough. God has called all people in Christ to go and make disciples. And if that resonates with you, I want to encourage you. We want to help you in that journey, journey, you being in Christ Jesus, for you to come email one of the pastors that you're the closest with here and say, please help me. I want to know how to make disciples because I believe some of the time we don't do these things is because we take Jesus's commands as suggestions. And when we take them as suggestions, we actually avert them and push them off to the exceptional instead of to everything everybody. And because they're just for exceptional Christians, we say, oh, well, they'll take care of that part. I'll take care of my part. Discipleship is actually the responsibility, not of your pastor, not of this staff, not of the missionary, and not of the evangelist. It's the responsibility of the church. God is calling everybody in Christ to go and make disciples. See, before I ever became a pastor, I was called to make disciples. That didn't happen once I became a pastor. All of a sudden, now I'm anointed and equipped and able to go and tell other people about Jesus. I've been making disciples way before I was a pastor. I remember when I was in college, I had a bunch of my uh, friends and roommates coming all together, and God just put a burden on my heart for all of the people in my circle. I remember praying in my apartment, 1200 West Marshall, praying that God would show me and bring me some people that I could share the gospel with. I wasn't in ministry at this time. I wasn't called to ministry at this time. I wasn't a pastor at this time. I was a 19-year-old kid who was in love with Jesus and wanted people to know about him. So I started inviting everybody that I knew and says, come over to my apartment. It'd be Friday nights. It would be before the gym. It would be before class. Sometimes it would literally just be a two Tuesday afternoon, and I would say, come over to my apartment, and we're going to go through the gospel. I'm going to read. We're going to talk about the scriptures. And I remember going into my room, praying so desperately for God to show up, worshiping so desperately that God would do something, going out into my living room, waiting for somebody to knock on the door, and oftentimes, nobody did. I said, do you want to be a disciple? And some people just said, no. They didn't come to the small group. They didn't come to the Bible study. But sometimes they did. 
And what happened is that I realized that there were some questions that people asked me that I didn't have the answers to. There were some circumstances that I was in that I didn't know how to fix. There was a situation in the small group that wasn't the most righteous where somebody had a blunt in this hand and a beer in that hand and a girl on their lap and plans they were making for that night. And I was sitting here saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing. And yet the kingdom of God was advanced. The presence of God was there. And people left that small group devoted to Jesus. Why? Because people are not looking for perfect ministers. They're looking for available ones. And you do not need to be a perfect minister to go and share the gospel with your roommate. You don't need to have all of the seminary degrees and have every Bible verse in your head. You just need a story. I might be talking to some people who are in this room right now who all, what all you, you need to do is you need to leave and before you drive away in the crazy parking lot, you pray and you say, God, who are you asking me to invite into my home? Lord, who are you inviting me to say I need to go have coffee and share my testimony? Lord, who are you asking me to go and ask and have you ever read a gospel recently you just need to be available for God to use because the people in your life they're not looking for a perfect minister they're looking for an available one and we are people who are disciples who are then making disciples see don't let fear stop you from making disciples in your life Jesus gave you his spirit, commanded you, and then now equipped you for the opportunity to go and make disciples of all nations. That's why it's so important that we walk with Jesus, that we follow Jesus. Because I've realized in my life that you only produce who you are. Apple trees produce apples, orange trees produce oranges. Brett and Cynthia Fuller can only produce fullers, and followers of Jesus can only produce followers of Jesus. The same is with you. Who are you producing? What are you producing? As a parent, what kind of children are you producing? As a friend, what type of friends are you producing? You might have a coworker and you might have one relationship, but in that relationship, what are you producing? Because you can only produce who you are. And the more time you spend with somebody, inevitably you become like them. Why? Because you look like what you look at. The more often that you look at something, the more often you will become that thing. And to first make a disciple, you must first be a disciple. You need to actually produce who you are. And if you are a disciple, then you will make disciples. And here's the reality. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, you're a disciple of something. Something or someone is discipling you. It might be the news, which is why you're so anxious. It might be social media, which is why you're so insecure. It might be culture, which is why you measure success by only the things that you can produce. Or it might be the person of Jesus, but you are be discipled by someone or something. And here's the thing. Some of us, we don't like that idea. We don't like the idea that we produce who we are and we look like what we look at because we don't like the idea that I am so susceptible to the people and the things around me. But the scriptures teach and they say that God knows our frame. He remembers that we're formed from the dust and that we're weak. 
Our souls are kind of like the waves in the ocean where they're here one day and here the next, that we aren't as strong as we would like to think. And we're far more fickle than we could ever believe. And God is actually saying, no, the thing right here you need to understand is that you look like what you look at. When I was in college, I wanted to be an actor. Some of you guys know that. And when I was studying at VCU, I trained under a lot of amazing, amazing actors and directors. And as I was training under them, I would go on all of these casting calls where you would go and you would do an audition for a casting director or maybe for a casting agent or for a movie or for a TV show or for a play. And I remember going on this one uh, 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 casting call. And as I showed up, I gave them my resume. They didn't look at it. I looked at them. I gave my monologue. I finished. And before they asked me a single question, before they made a comment about any of my acting ability, and before they looked at my resume, this casting director looked at me and said, you go to VCU, don't you? I said, yes, ma'am. How'd you know? She said, well, VCU actors are storytellers. I said, what? Well, she says, I can tell where somebody went to school by just one monologue that they do. And I know if you went to Juilliard, I know if you went to NYU, I know if you went to VCU. Why? Because those people produce those actors. You look like what you look at. I was looking at all of these VCU actors and all of a sudden I started to become this VCU actor. And specifically, when we realized that what we look at is what we look like, I would ask you one question. What do you look like? Because that will give you a whole lot of information at what you're looking at. Who you are becoming. For me, as simple as me training under some certain actors and directors made me a storyteller, you sitting under the feet of Jesus will make you a disciple. If you look at him, you will become, you will start to look like him. We're formed into his image, into the image of Christ. And culture won't necessarily tell you that. Culture will not tell you to look up at Jesus and look at Jesus. Culture will actually tell you probably to look inside. It'll tell you to look at yourself. But the issue with looking at yourself is inside of myself, I never find answers. I always find problems. When my car broke down or didn't break down, but the check engine light came on a few weeks ago, what I did is ultimately what I did is I, I realized that I had to go and look underneath the hood to see what the issue was inside of my car. And as I look inside of myself, I realize that my car and my soul are far more similar than I ever thought in the way that the answers to the issue in my car are not found inside of my car. They're found outside of my car. I only find the problem inside of my car. And in the same way, the answers to my soul are not found in my soul. They're found apart from my soul. So if they're found apart from my soul, then where do I find these answers? I simply don't look to the creation. I actually look to the creator. I'm going to take that car to the one who manufactured it. And they're not just going to tell me what's wrong with it. They're going to tell me how to fix it. And in the same way goes your soul. You don't look inside of yourself to find the answers to yourself. You look inside of yourself to find the problems to yourself. But if you would go to the manufacturer of your soul, you would not find more issues. You would find more answers. The answers to me aren't found in me. They're found in the one who created me. 
And I'm not saying that self-reflection and thoughtfulness and introspection is a bad thing. I'm saying it's not a finished thing. We need to go to the source, the one that created me, so that I know without a shadow of a doubt, not just the problems, but the answers. And the really cool thing about Jesus is the more that you look at him, the more you begin to look like him. And we take, man, I don't like the idea that I'm so susceptible and that I look like what I look at and my soul actually just goes what I've, what, with what I'm staring at. But here's the thing. God made you that way because if you are so susceptible to be uh, formed into the image of a VCU actor, the more that you look at Jesus, your soul will start to become like Jesus. Jesus. You will be formed into the image of Jesus. Why? Because he created you with the reality that you look like what you look at. What are you looking at? If you want to change what you look like, change what you look at. If you want to change, if you want to understand what you look like, you need to take a first look at what you're looking at. What's discipleship and the cost of discipleship? See, Jesus never used casual language when talking about discipleship, ever. Jesus was saying crazy things whenever he talked about discipleship. Every time you find in Matthew chapter 16 or any of the gospels, whenever Jesus would do a miracle or heal somebody or cast out demons or give an amazing teaching and the crowd would come, Jesus would give an incredibly difficult truth to swallow. And actually, when crowds came to him, he typically gave a really harsh reality, a really difficult teaching, and then ran away. And Jesus is this giving this, this really, really strange um, um, uh, picture of what it looks like to campaign for Savior of the world. Because when people came to Jesus and they asked him, I want to follow you, he said, are you sure? Like, are are you sure? Have you really thought about what it means to follow me? People come to Jesus and say, I want to follow you. He says, you know that birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Are you sure? People came to Jesus and said, man, I want to follow you. He says, you know if you follow me, you have to hate your mother, right? People came to Jesus and said, we want to we follow you. And he says, you know if you put your hands to the plow and look back, you're unfit for the kingdom of God. People came to Jesus and said, man, we really want to follow you. He says, if you don't hate everything and sell everything that you have, you're unfit to follow me. If I was campaigning for savior of the world, I would not use those tactics. <laughs> because who wants to follow that guy after that? And, and the reason, I, I don't believe that Jesus is trying to dissuade people from following him. I believe he's preparing people for the reality of following him. That if you follow me, it's going to cost you a lot. Are you sure you want to follow him? I, I was, as I was preparing this message, I was reading through the gospels, figuring out language that Jesus used for discipleship. And there is not an easy passage in the book. There is no other message that I could preach about discipleship other than this one that I'm preaching right now. There is not an easy path to following Jesus. There is not a path to following Jesus that costs you nothing. It doesn't exist. And as I was preparing, I was like, God, like, 
this is really, really tough stuff. You're telling me that if I want to follow you, I have to take up my cross, deny myself, lose my life, and then I can follow you? Yeah. Are you sure you want to follow Jesus? Are you sure you want to follow Jesus? Because it's going to cost you a whole lot. He says, take up your cross. Deny yourself. Jesus is saying here that following me is more than an inconvenience. It's not just like traffic. It's not just like you deny yourself some self-gratification or you maybe go on a fast every once in a while. That's not the type of denial he's talking about. He's saying that you forsake yourself. He's saying take up your cross, and that wasn't something you put on your Instagram bio, get tattooed on your body, or put on your rearview mirror. That wasn't that at all. The cross and the way that they heard the cross The cross was a Roman instrument of torture and of execution. And so when Jesus said, if you really want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. What he's saying is, if you want to follow me, are you ready to die? Are you sure you want to follow him? Because he's saying here that it's going to cost you everything. He's saying, this is a valuable, valuable thing, and I'm not just going to give it away for free. Yes, salvation is free. It comes at the expense of Jesus. He's saying, but for you to follow me, that's going to cost you some things. We're saved by the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice for us, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You can't work for it, earn it, or deserve it. He lavishes his love on you by dying on the cross, and if you would believe in him, you would receive the forgiveness of your sins, and you would be saved, and you would be in eternity with him forever and ever. And he says, if you want to follow me and be like me, mimic me, and copy me, me, that's going to cost you something. It's expensive to you. He's saying, follow me. And if I could, just for the next 12 seconds, I want us to really think about this idea that the creator of the universe, the one who breathed the world into existence and spoke and the solar system was formed, has said then and is saying now to you, follow me. God is asking you to follow him. What? God is asking you to follow him. The greatest invitation that was ever extended is being extended right now. And he's saying, I want you. And the craziest part of it is that even though the creator of the universe, the God who created everybody in this room and has a plan for everybody, knows the beginning from the end, has invited you to follow him, some of us are still considering it. We're thinking about it. We're saying, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. Yeah, I know, I know, God, you're asking me, you're inviting me to follow you, but I'm just not sure. Some of us are thinking about the invitation that God wants you to follow him. What? 
gave you 12 seconds to think about it. I hope you're as mind blown as I am. What? God is extending the greatest invitation there ever was. And some of us are considering it because we're saying, man, I won't be able to have sex and I won't be able to get drunk and I have to give more of my money and I won't be. What? He's saying, I love you so much and I want you to follow me. And some of us are thinking about it. I think we're thinking about it because some of us do know that following him means I have to stop following me. Jesus is an all or nothing guy. He's saying, man, you can't follow yourself and follow me. You're going to love one and hate the other, or hate one and despise the other. Like, you can't do both. For you to follow me, you have to stop following yourself. Why? Because Jesus says, I don't really have any use for full vessels. Only empty ones. And if you think that you're full, I, okay. If you think that you can save yourself, fine. If you think that you can provide the life that you ultimately want by yourself, through yourself, for yourself, okay, then that's you. Go ahead, be my guest. But Jesus is saying, if you're full, if you're good enough, then I don't have to be. Jesus is looking for empty vessels. See, when we start following Jesus, that means we have to stop following ourselves. Because in order to receive all that God has for you, you have to let go of all that you have for yourself. I believe that tight grips equal loose faith. But loose grips equal tight faith. Jesus says, if anyone aims to save their lives, they will lose it. But anyone who loses their life for my sake will actually find it. He's saying, if you hold on to your life the way that you want to hold on to your life, you will actually never get the life you ultimately want. It's the paradox of paradoxes. The abundant eternal life isn't found in you. It's found in actually giving yourself up to him. And he's saying, if you want to be my disciples, deny yourself and follow me. You see, those things aren't God's responsibility. Those things are your responsibility. There are some things that are God's responsibility, like salvation and forgiveness. And there are some things that are your responsibility, like taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following Jesus. If you're sitting in this room and you're saying, I don't know why God isn't taking control of my life yet, I would submit to you, maybe it's because you haven't given him control of your life. Because God doesn't take things that aren't given to him. He's inviting you into it. He's saying there is a responsibility that you have. There is a job that you have to for, forfeit your life unto me and have a loose grip so that you might have a tight faith. It's the idea of being open-handed rather than close-handed. And this beautiful imagery that those who actually keep their lives will lose it, but those who lose their lives will find it. There's this picture of you grabbing sand at the beach and squeezing it as hard as you can. And the harder that you squeeze, the more that the sand runs out of your fingers. And so it goes.
goes with your soul is the harder that you try and hold on to it for yourself, the more that it slips out of your hands. And you don't need me to tell you that. You know that. You've tried to make a life for yourself and it didn't work. You've tried to be the Lord of your life and it didn't work. You tried to follow yourself and it hasn't worked. And Jesus is saying it's because tight grips equal loose faith, but loose grips equal tight faith. And if you would hold out your life with an open hand, which is simply ready to receive and ready to release, then Jesus would say, that's where you find life. Not in holding on to it for yourself, but letting it go for my sake and for the gospel's This is what Jesus is saying, that if you would let it go, yes, it would cost you something, but you would get something far more valuable. Jesus told a parable like this, that the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great value. It's like a treasure in an empty plot of land. And a man finds this treasure and in his joy, he sells everything that he has so that he can go and buy that field. And the same is here today, that there is a kingdom of God being presented to you right now. And he's saying, yes, I might have to sell everything, but selling everything doesn't even compare to the joy that I get in Christ if you're sitting in this room and you're like that's a lot if you're sitting in this room and you're like that's too much to be honest like that's a a heavy ask I don't know if I can do all that I don't even know if I want to do all that in John chapter 6 there's a similar story of Jesus giving a really difficult teaching to people who were following him. Yes, even disciples. And it says in John chapter 6 that many of them after this difficult teaching actually left and walked away from following Jesus. And in John chapter 6, verse 67 through 69, Jesus looks at his best friends and it says, So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus is saying, are you going to go too? Is this so difficult that you're going to abandon me too? And Peter responds, he's saying, where are we going to go? There's no life anywhere else. It doesn't exist. You're the only one who holds out life, at least true life. I can get a type of life somewhere else, but you, you're the only one who holds the words of eternal life. If I left somewhere else, it would be futile. I would lead myself by myself to the detriment of myself. Now I would end up trying to save myself. I've tried that. You've tried that. It doesn't work. There's no life beyond him. And Peter said, where are we going to go, Jesus? And the psalm and the hymn is saying the same thing. Even if none go with me, still I will follow. You can have the world, but give me Jesus. I don't need anything else because there is nothing else. 
There is one beauty. There is one love. There is one glory. There is one Savior. There is one King. There is one man who forgives all sins. There is one lover of your soul. There is one man who can change you. There is one man who can redeem you. There is one man who can give you an abundant life. There is one, and his name is Jesus. And Peter knew, he says, even if I leave, it doesn't exist anywhere else. So I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to go. If it costs me everything, I'm going to follow you. Because life is found in him. See, there is a cost to discipleship, to following Jesus. But it does not compare to the beautiful life that we find when we give our lives to him. When we find that pearl of great value. When we find the lover of our soul. And I can confidently say, man, you can have everything else. To whom else should we go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. And even if none go with me, still, I'll follow you. Because you're worth it. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. And Lord, we ask that you would reveal to us in Jesus' name the ways in which we have not followed you. Create in us, Lord, a group of disciples, followers of Jesus who are wholly and totally committed to you.